Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. Happy New Decade. I feel like saying Happy New Year is so last decade. So I'm saying Happy New Decade. That's my little saying. Well, our text for today is from the book of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. But rather than read you the text today, we're actually going to bring it to life on this beautiful big screen I've got behind me and all the visual learners said, Amen. So let's check out Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. I'm sure that the very next thing that Ezekiel did was prophesy some clothing on the man in Jesus' name. (laughs) One of the greatest films of the year 2017 was actually a musical film. It was a story a film that told the true story of a man who had a dream, a dream that drove him, inspired him, that saw him try and fail and then try again, and eventually saw him open Barnum's American Museum. This film took critics and the world by storm. Nobody expected it to do this well, but in just one year at the box office, it grossed over $434 million. I am, of course, speaking of the film, The Greatest Showman. This movie went on to win Grammy Awards for its soundtrack. It had hit songs like This Is Me, The Greatest Show, Come Alive, and my personal favourite, A Million Dreams. I don't know about you, but when I hear that song and those lyrics that say every night I lie in bed, the brightest colours fill my head, a million dreams are keeping me awake. I dream of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams is all it's going to take. A million dreams for the world we're going to make. When I hear that song, something awakens in me. Something stirs in me. I think it's this thing that God placed in me to want to dream again. 
In fact, I feel that the Holy Spirit has been saying to me for a couple of months now, Stacey, 2020 and this decade is the decade where you are called to dream again. He's been saying it to me so much that I feel like maybe it's a message for some other people in the church. It's time to dream again. I've been talking about it so much that my husband actually had a very special gift made for me for Christmas. Check it out. My coat. Dream again. It's my Joseph prophetic coat. You might see me wearing it around a couple of times this year. Take it as a reminder. This decade is a decade. This is a year for us to dream again. You know, the story of P.T. Barnum, it's not the only story that we love about somebody having a God-given dream and seeing it come to pass. What about Abraham Lincoln, a man who went from abject poverty to the world's most powerful position, the Oval Office, the President of the United States of America, all because he had a God-given dream to affect his world for good. It was a dream that saw Helen Keller overcome the limitations of being mute and blind and eventually write best-selling books. She was able to speak six languages. It was a single God-given dream that saw Thomas Edison try and fail and try again until eventually he succeeded in putting a thin filament in a vacuum tube and lighting up the world. Then, of course, there is perhaps the most famous dream of all time outside of the Bible, a dream that was delivered on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 when Nobel Peace Prize recipient Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous speech, I have a dream. He said, I say to you today, my friends, that in spite of the difficulties and frustrations of the moment, I still have a dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And an entire nation shook underneath the power of one man's God-given dream. Eventually, it affected and changed the whole world around him. You see, we love stories about a dreamer, a dreamer who has a God-given dream that comes to pass. It's why we all flock to that movie it's why we love to read the Helen Keller books. It's why we love to hear the stories of Martin Luther King Jr. But why is that? I believe it's because deep inside each of us, we have a knowing that we are too called to dream, that we too have a God-given dream to make a difference in our world for Jesus. And so we love these stories. The thing is, everybody has one. Maybe right now it's lying undiscovered, undetected, Maybe it's still in seed form, but everybody has one. Maybe it's been discarded, laid aside through disappointment, through failure, through frustration, weariness, a lack of self-confidence. It could be broken, undeveloped, hidden beneath the rubble of your mistakes, but everyone has one. You have one. I have one. Every child of God has one and He placed that dream inside of you. Maybe it's imprisoned by faulty character. Maybe you once had the courage to speak out your dream and somebody laughed at you, mocked you, judged you. Still, everybody has one. God didn't leave anybody out. 
Everyone has a God-given dream given to them to fulfil and to extend God's kingdom. This dream is a hope of who we could become in God and what we can do for God's kingdom. The cool thing is it's just like your thumbprint. There's no two God dreams the same. It's custom made just for you. It's divinely installed in us before we were born, woven into the fabric of our being. Hidden within each of us lies the blueprint for becoming all that God planned for us. So before anybody sits here today and says, oh, wrong, Stacey, I'm not a dreamer. I don't have a dream. Before anybody discounts themselves, listen to what the Bible says. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It's a verse we read often around our identity. Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's a short, simple verse, but it's very important. Often we quote this verse, we preach this verse, we apply it when we're talking about the fact that God is love, therefore we in our purest form are loving. Or that God is kind, therefore we are kind. God is all powerful and He has delegated His authority to us. We talk about all these aspects of God's character and we say we're created in the ultimate creator's image, therefore we're creative. But what about this aspect of God's character. God has dreams. God is a dreamer. Now, the first time the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about that, I grew up Baptist. I'm like, I know my Bible. I've never heard that. It almost felt sacrilegious to me to say that God was a dreamer. But I've come to understand that's because I had an incorrect perception of what a dreamer is like. It's the truth that our God has dreams and that God is a dreamer. In fact, you and I, the person on your left and your right, have a good look at them. You may not believe it, but they are one of God's dreams. We are all one of God's dreams. And one of the most pervasive and destructive lies of the enemy in our culture today is that anybody is a mistake or is unplanned. There is nobody in this room who you are a mistake. There is nobody in a womb in this room right now that's a mistake to God or unplanned to God. In fact, you are one of God's dreams. How do I know this? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Again, another important identity scripture. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, it's on the screens as well. It says, before I formed you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God's speaking to Jeremiah here about his identity. Have a look at this scripture on the screen here. The word formed before I formed you is the Greek word yasa, which means to plan, to shape and to create. The word and the way it's used in this context has its focus on God as the creator, planning first and then forming us as a skilled craftsman. In the ancient world, this same word was used for a potter. Now, skilled craftsmen and artists don't normally approach a lump of clay or a canvas and paint and just hope for the best and have at it. 
The most skilled artisans and craftsmen first imagine, get a vision for, or dream up what they are going to create, and then they pick up the tools. And this is exactly what this passage is trying to paint for us in the carefully chosen wording. This is what God did with you. Look at the language. It says, before I yassed, before I formed you, I knew you. Pause. Before you were ever cells and muscle, tissues and organ, organs coming together in your mother's womb, he knew you. How is that even possible? It's because God first knew you in his heart and in his mind before you ever had any substance. God dreamed of you. I like to take a little bit of creative license and think about it this way. I imagine it looked like this in heaven. You see, it's the annual Trinity brainstorming blue sky thought showering day. And the only agenda is to plan, brainstorm, imagine and dream up humanity for the coming year. You have God on his throne, obviously. You've got Jesus, he has to be to his right hand. He's probably sitting on the steps of the throne. And then you've got the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if he's levitating on sitting on a cloud, but he's there too. And God the Father says, Radio son, radio Holy Spirit, because God's Aussie. <laughs> Today, we will brainstorm some new humans, the ones we like, the ones we think could really work. Then we'll arrange to have them planted as a seed in a mother's womb. Have you ever wondered how many people didn't make it past the brainstorming phase to the knitting room or womb? You made it. I made it. So maybe some earthly figure told you one time that you weren't planned, that you were a surprise, that there's not a place for you, but the ultimate creator, you were not a surprise to him. He planned you and then he formed you. And then he planted you in your mother's womb. Father, Son and Holy Spirit liked what they came up with when they brainstormed and planned you and I. And so we were knit together in our mother's womb and we were created. We were taken first from God's heart and his mind and made then into something of substance. And I know that I've embellished the story a little bit, but the truth that the language of this scripture teaches us is that God dreamed of you and planned you before he ever made you. Not only did He know you, but the same way as He did for Jeremiah in this verse, He consecrated you and set you apart to fulfil His dream for your life. You see, the thing is for any dream to become a reality, dreams must first be received from God. They germinate in the heart and the mind before they ever come to pass. This was the case for P.T. Barnum. Do you know that he saw Barnum's American Museum in his heart and his mind years before it was ever built? Martin Luther King Jr., he saw equality for his four children in his heart and in his mind long before it was ever reality on the earth. Helen Keller, she saw people reading her books in six languages in her heart and her mind before we ever picked up one of her books. God saw you in his heart and in his mind before you were ever even knit together in your mother's womb. This means that the seed of your life, 
The very seed that you were created with is a dream of God. So be interactive with me here for a moment. What grows when you plant an apple seed? Not an apple, an apple tree. (laughs) What grows when you plant a pumpkin seed? Hello, you must know what happens when you plant a pumpkin seed. What grows? So when a dream seed is planted inside a mother's womb, what grows? A dreamer. A dream who is by DNA a dreamer. You see, we all have one. Nobody is disqualified from this. But maybe you're sitting there going, well, what kind of dream are you talking about, Stacey? Well, there's a phrase that's become really common in our culture today. It's very popular as a hashtag. In fact, when I checked last night, it had 5.7 million tags. You'll know the saying as soon as I say it. Oh, I'm just living the dream. Hashtag living the dream. You know that one time you get the perfect angle on your beach holiday and you're snapping, you're like, living the dream. Or I've seen quite a few in the new year of people sarcastically posting, only person in their workplace looks like a ghost town and they sarcastically say, just here, living the dream. It's become a very popular saying in our culture. But what does it actually mean? Well, when I want to know what something means, I go to the Urban Dictionary and it defines it this way. Living the dream is having a seemingly perfect life, often applied to movie stars and other celebrities or used in sarcasm about the reality of one's life. So I'm not talking today about hashtag living the dream. I'm not talking about living a seemingly perfect life or keeping up appearances or focusing on the external. I'm not even talking about living the great Aussie dream to own your home with a picket fence, a perfect boy and girl pigeon pair who behave perfectly, having a jet ski parked in the garage and a holiday house at Rosebud. If you have that, God bless you, but I'm not talking about that kind of dream. I'm not even talking today about your nighttime dreams, although I'm going to divert for a moment and just feel to say today that nighttime dreams are one of the primary ways that God communicates with His people primary ways he communicates with his people. If you look just simply to the book of Genesis, the very first book in your Bible, there are 10 encounters where a message from God that would end up affecting the whole of humanity were delivered in dreams, just in Genesis alone. Flip to the first book in your New Testament, Matthew. In the first two chapters alone, there are four dreams where God delivers a message about the birth of the Messiah. God loves to communicate with us through our nighttime dreams, but I'm not focusing on that today. That's a whole other sermon. I'm talking today about the dream has, that God has always planned for you to fulfill. The dream where you find complete fulfillment and joy in living it. You will literally be living the dream. The dream that when the Trinity brainstormed you, they planned and foreknew and then also planned the necessary giftings, skills, the right kind of personality, where you would be born, the body you would be planted in so that you could fulfil that dream. The dream that He knit inside your being when He knit you in your mother's womb. The dream that you were born to fulfil. John Maxwell defines our God-given dream as this. 
A dream is an inspiring picture of the future that energises our mind, will and emotions, empowering us to do everything we can to achieve it. Did you know that not only did God dream you and I, God has an ultimate big picture dream. It's why He created us actually. It's why He sent His Son because of His one big dream for the planet. We find his dream in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Here it is, the dream. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's big overarching dream for the planet and humanity is that none would perish and all would reach repentance. We read about it in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world, He had such a big dream for the world that He did something about it. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's big dream is that none would perish but all would have eternal life. It's a great way for us to measure if our dream is from God. Is to ask ourselves this question. Will this dream serve God's ultimate dream to redeem the planet and bring all people into relationship with Him? If you can answer yes to that, you've tapped into your God-given dream. You see, God has lovingly placed a driving passion in you to do something special and meaningful with your life. And it will ultimately serve His plan to redeem the planet. I've discovered that until we decide to pursue that dream and not the world's dream, we are never going to love and enjoy our lives the way we were meant to. And we won't see God's kingdom come to earth through our lives in the way He intended it. So you're sitting there now and you're saying, okay, so God has a dream. He's a dreamer. I'm one of God's dream. I'm a dream seed. That's awesome. But what has that got to do with Ezekiel chapter 37? Great question. Here's the problem that I've observed. Let's bring this all together. You and I live in a very real tension. I'm going to be real for a moment. How many people knows that in, know that in living this life, stuff happens? As we live this life here on earth, stuff happens to all of us. It doesn't discriminate. All of us have stuff happen in our lives. And often what started out as a passion, a pursuit, the purpose of our life, a dream that we knew that we knew that we knew was from God can often end up looking more like this. A pile of dried up bones. I've observed and experienced in my own life and in working with people, I haven't had too many people at coffee say to me, you know what, Stacey, as I was growing up, I just dreamed of having broken relationships. I dreamed of one day having a huge mortgage so that I couldn't even sleep at night. I dreamed of getting divorced. I dreamed of having relationships that would fail. I dreamed of having children with learning difficulties. I dreamed of walking with a friend or a family member through cancer. I dreamed of starting a business that didn't thrive. I dreamt of getting hurt and disappointed by the church. I dreamt about losing people I love. 
Not many people dream about burying a child. And yet the tension you and I live in is that this is often a more common human experience than our dreams coming to pass. And so subconsciously, our life teaches us that it's full of disappointments and failures and heartbreak and we end up departing from our original DNA to dream, to pursue a dream, to enjoy living our dream. We settle for less through disappointment, delay, failure, and ultimately we lay our dreams down to rot and decay and to become dried up bones. And guess who the winner is there? There's only one winner when we lay down our God-given dreams. The winner is described to us as a thief in John 10.10, where it says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy our God-given dreams. When we lay our dreams down, our lives end up looking less like a high-definition colour movie with a bunch of hit songs and more like the valley that Ezekiel stood in, full full of dried, bleached bones. So that's depressing. Here comes the good bit. We can do something about it. How do we continue to dream with and for God? How do we dream again in a fallen world where we try and we fail, where we get tired, hurt, disappointed and let down and it just doesn't look like it's ever going to happen? Well, this is where Ezekiel has much to teach us. In our original passage, which is going to come back up on the screen, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel, he was a priest, he was a second generation priest. And he had been taken captive in the capture of Jerusalem and exiled to Babylon. Now here, away from the dream life that Ezekiel had imagined for himself, with his whole community away from the dream life God had for them and that they had imagined, he was called to be a prophet to the nation. The the meaning of Ezekiel's name is important. It means God strengthens Because he was delivering a message to a community who had been forced from their homes, who had broken faith with their God. I saw footage last night of crowds of people on a beach being forced from their home. And I thought, that's what it would have looked like. These people in exile, scared, alone, disappointed. They'd gotten off track. They were far from home in the dream that God had for them. Think about it. The Israelites, they grew up their whole lives hearing about this promised land filled with milk and honey that they were going to inherit. This generation was the one that got to inherit it. And guess what? They stuffed it up. They stuffed it up really bad. And so God exiled them out of the promise, out of the dream. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a pattern that at times of crisis is when a prophetic voice emerges. And Ezekiel emerges in the context of exile, broken dreams and national failure. Ezekiel is shown a series of visions by God that are full of symbolism for us today. The symbol that God used for his nation in exile is a valley full of dry, bleached bones. Look at verse 1 with me. We read that Ezekiel was set down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Now, the picture that God is giving Ezekiel in this vision is the aftermath of a battle, a defeat, where bodies were left to rot and to decompose. And it's here in the midst of this scene that God asks Ezekiel this question. He says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
Now, Ezekiel's answer is very, very careful and considered. In verse 3, he says, Oh, Lord God, you know. Modern language, only God knows. To deny that the bones could live would mean that Ezekiel doubted God's power. But on the other hand, if he was to look at those dry bones and say, yes, they can live, then he would have to embrace human impossibility. He wasn't ready. He was too damaged from the battle. He was too weary from the battle. So he chose a position of neutrality. Well, only God knows. But God didn't let him stay there in that position of neutrality or safety. Instead, he involved Ezekiel in the visionary resurrection of an army. In verse 4, he commands Ezekiel, he says, hey, have a good look at the dried up dead bones. Have a good look at them. And while you're looking at them, I want you to lift a sound of faith. I want you to prophesy to them to bring them back to life. In verse 7 and 8, as a result of Ezekiel prophesying, The bodies are rebuilt. You saw it earlier in the clip. The bones come together, sinew forms, flesh comes on them, skin covers them, but there's something missing. There's no breath in them. Turn to the person beside you and say, breath. Give them a good whiff. The word of the Lord is get a mint. (laughs) Turn to the other side and say, ruach. Put a good in it and then wipe the remnants off their face. This word breath in verse 9 is the word ruach. It means breath, wind, spirit. It's the immaterial part of a person, not the flesh and bones, the immaterial part of a person that can respond to God. You all know it's become a very important word to us as a church because its New Testament translation is pneuma. So here Ezekiel has prophesied once, everything material now exists but not yet the immaterial part of the army that can respond to God. In other words, they were at this point corpses. Do you know that we can go through the motions of life and not really be alive? Just because we're alive doesn't mean we're really living. Anytime the immaterial part of us is not in connection and union with Christ, we are dead in a spiritual sense. I believe that any time we have allowed our God-given dreams to fall to the ground and rot and lay in a valley of dried up bones through the battles we face in life, we are not living the dream. I wonder if we are really living the God, the life God intended for us when our dreams begin to look like this. But God doesn't leave us there. And He didn't leave Ezekiel there. He commanded Ezekiel to prophesy again. In verse 9, He tells him to prophesy to the breath. Interestingly, this ruah word is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And then, see how this passage travels, then the man became a living creature. In other words, before the breath, Adam's body was a corpse until he received breath. So in Genesis, God breathes Adam's corpse back to life. In Ezekiel, God breathes Adam's descendants back to life. Today here at Numa Church, God once again breathes your dreams back to life. You see, dead things don't intimidate God. Your dead dreams don't intimidate God. Don't get me wrong, they thrill the devil. He loves them. But they don't intimidate God. In fact, 
our God specialises in resuscitation and resurrection. In verses 12 to 13, He says, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And this is a vision God was giving Ezekiel in the spiritual realm of His intention to revive the nation of Israel. So let's find ourselves here today in 2020 in the story. You see, I believe that everything that is needed to see the global revival that our God dreams of, when nobody perishes and all have eternal life, we're not waiting for everything that's needed to drop from heaven. It's actually already inside of His sons and daughters. Everything that is needed for his army of revivalists right here at Numa and across his global church, which he intends to impact families, communities, government, education, media, science, medicine and the business place was planted inside of each of us in the form of God dreams when we were knit together in our mother's womb. Planned for us when we were just known in the heart and mind of God before we even had substance. Planted with all the equipping and the gifting we would need. Then each of us sown into the family of God that would cover our weaknesses and gaps when we operate together as a body. Then breathed upon by His Holy Spirit and brought to life in each of us. So if God's a dreamer, we're one of his dreams, we're the seed of a dream, we've all got God-given dreams, he wants us to live the dream. We're left with three options. Three options for us here today. Firstly, you are literally living the dream. You're living your God dream. If that is you, I cheer you on today. Awesome, keep going and strength and power to you. It's the best life you can live when you're living your God dream. The second option is this that your dream is just in seed form inside of you right now. You don't know what it is yet. Well, I believe that today God is going to start to reveal to people what some of those seeds are. He's going to breathe on them and start to bring them to life in Jesus' name. The third option, which is where I feel like God wants us to camp today, is that your dreams have gone from looking like a high-definition movie with a bunch of hits to a valley of dried-up bones. Maybe you once had a dream for your family. Once upon a time, you had a dream of what your marriage would look like, what it would look like to raise your children. Stuff happens. It's not what you dreamed. You've got a kid who's away from the Lord. You've got a relationship that's fractured. You're in financial turmoil. You've been hurt and disappointed. I want to say to you today that the experiences of life don't take away the God dream inside of you. In 2020, it is time to dream again for your family. Maybe you once had a dream for your workplace. You dreamed so much, it kept you awake at night of one day rising to a position of influence so that you could affect even government policy. Or of seeing people in your workplace get saved. You had an ultimate dream in mind. It saw you study hard, go to uni, do your absolute best, get your qualification. You landed your dream job, but it's not quite living the dream. Stuff happens. Well, in 2020, I believe that it's time for you to dream again for your workplace. What about dreaming again for your ministry, 
Don't tap out because if you're a full-time Christian, you're in full-time ministry. And you once had a dream of what your ministry with God would look like, but it's falling short and it looks nothing like it. So your dream for ministry has become a dry bone. 2020, it's time to dream again for your ministry. Maybe you, like our Heavenly Father, had a dream knit inside you for the world. Maybe you're the one in a million that God knit inside of you a strategy that would actually eradicate global poverty. Who's to say that's not here in this room? Maybe God planted inside of you a desire to go to another nation and see every tribe and tongue call on the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe God placed inside of you as a stay-at-home mum a desire to see other mums at school get saved and come to know Jesus. I don't know what your dream is for the world But I know that when we let it become a dry bone, it's time in 2020 to dream again for the world. You see, it's not a day and it's not an age for us to stand staring at our dormant, given up on, laughed at dreams and stay neutral because God's big dream is too important. And your God-given dream... It serves in fulfilling His big dream. And so God asks you today, can your dream live again? Can these dreams that we've dropped and left to decompose and rot, can they live again? I want you to just imagine with me for a moment. This is one of my favourite things to do. A redeemed imagination is awesome. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you imagine. Imagine with me for a moment if all the dreams that are knit inside of each person just in this room alone from God were fulfilled. What would our church look like? More importantly, what would our communities look like? What would our society look like? Imagine with me what our nation would look like. Imagine with me what our world would look like. Imagine how much more populated heaven would be. Can you picture how that would change our world? Do you know that in the spiritual realm, if we choose not to resuscitate our dreams, if we choose not to dream again, we risk our churches becoming just like the valley that Ezekiel stood in in his vision. Valley full of dry bones, full of dead things dead destinies, dead dreams, disappointments and failures. Let me tell you, the church is meant to be a place where dreams come to life, not a cemetery. Where dreams come to life under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and where the body of Christ shines and impacts the world. The church is meant to be an army of revivalists on commission to seek and save the lost and every dream that is required to see that come to pass is inside of his sons and daughters. It's a day to pick up our dry bone dreams, to stare at them like Ezekiel did, to take a good, hard, long look at them and say, it's not by sight. I prophesy to you bones to come back to life and to live again because it ain't over until he says it's over. It's nothing to do with a fat lady. It's time to dream again.
Holy Spirit is here right now. It's time to dream again. When I'm messing about, God's big dream is too important. There are people going to hell. It's not about how I feel. It's not about how tired I am or how disappointed I am. It's not about that. It's about his big dream that none would perish and that all would find eternal life. So I'm not going to step back in fear. I'm going to pick up my dreams. I'm going to prophesy to them. I'm going to prophesy life and breath till all come to know Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.